We are on a mission to help lawyers and law firm owners maximize wealth and achieve financial independence. Welcome to The Lawyer Millionaire with Darren Words from Words Financial Services. In this podcast, we will help you build wealth, minimize your taxes, and plan for retirement with money management strategies designed for the legal profession. Join us in this journey where we help you manage your money so you can make the most of your future. Start feeling confident in knowing you are well prepared for retirement and on track to financial independence. Now on to the show. Are you a law firm owner seeking the keys to success and financial prosperity? Well, listen up. In this episode, we dive into the incredible journey of Jordan Ostroff, founder of Jordan Law, who not only reshaped the legal landscape, but also unlocked the secrets to building a thriving law firm while achieving remarkable financial milestones. Welcome to another episode of The Lawyer Millionaire, where we delve into the minds of successful entrepreneurs in the legal industry. I'm your host, Darren Wirtz, and today we have a remarkable guest joining us. I'm thrilled to introduce Jordan Ostroff, founder of Jordan Law, a digital-first firm that has rapidly grown into becoming a prominent force in Central Florida. Jordan, welcome to the show, and thanks for joining us today. Darren, thanks for having me, man. With that welcome, I was, wasn't sure if there was another guest that we were still waiting on, but uh, I'll take it. Yeah, I pumped you up real good here. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you are successful and you have done some remarkable things as an entrepreneur, as a law firm owner that we want to hear all about. Let's start with your journey. Can you share with us a little bit about how you came to launch your own law firm and how you grew it from a modest setup to a larger firm now spanning Central Florida? Sure, man. So I wanted to be a lawyer as long as I can remember. Like there are home videos of me at four just being such an asshole and arguing with my parents in like the perfect ultimate lawyerness. Um, and at some point I decided I want to be a prosecutor, not knowing what that was, not even knowing what a lawyer was, but I ended up starting there. Uh, and then my wife will tell you one day I just let her know like, hey, I put in my notice, I'm going to start my own firm. But I I recall us having a slightly longer conversation than that. Um, she doesn't. So left, started the firm and then had to figure out, you know, all those wonderful business owner things like how to get clients, how to build systems, how to put things together. And I did uh, none of those things intentionally for about three years. At worst, we were about $200,000 in debt, working 70, 80 hours a week, uh, miserable. And then that's when my wife told me she was pregnant with our child. And so I knew how to do something else. And so that was really the impetus for us to kind of go back to basics. Let me rephrase that. Learn the basics, implement the basics, and then kind of rebuild a firm uh, on top of what I had already done to actually do things the right way. Yeah. Wow. That's that's a, an awakening, if I ever heard one, for sure. <laughs> so what was it? What was the big thing that you were missing uh, that you needed to go back and learn? What were you doing that wasn't working? Sure. Well, so I have a, an interesting story. Like, So basically... I came up to Orlando to go to the University of Central Florida, and there I did the mock trial team at UCF. So we did fake trial, but we got to practice and literally practice our fake trial in front of real lawyers, real judges. And then, you know, I started there as my first year at UCF or my second year at UCF. So there were people that were older than me. And then I went to Barry for law school and did trial team there. And so same thing, you know, started as a 1L, had 3Ls, had judges, had real attorneys, you know, helping us through the process. So by the time I left the prosecutor's office, I had been in town for about a decade. And so I had like all these referral sources. 
having no idea how to actually network, having no understanding of what cases I wanted, having, you know, just ass backwards into this opportunity. And so I was like, oh, this is great. You know, I'm generating two, $300,000 a year in referrals. I'll hire a marketing company and oh my God, I'll be a million dollar firm next year. Uh, and I wasn't. So part of it was me not knowing what I wanted. Part of it was marketing companies not making sure I had a sales process in place. Part of it was me not following up with cold leads the same way I did with the warm referrals. Part of it was, you know, trying a little bit of everything and not putting enough behind it. I mean, I I made all the mistakes, uh, but I learned from them. So that was what was really helpful was throwing myself into the deep end and then having to figure out how to swim after I was already drowning. <laughs> I can relate to that. That's uh, That's for sure. Uh, because I did a similar thing. I went from teaching and jumped into starting a financial advisory business. So I'm familiar with that struggle and not knowing and it, just kind of expecting success to just kind of come easy. Was that the case for you? You know, that's a great question. I, I, I can't I can't even tell you that I thought intentionally enough to be able to give you an honest answer. Like I, the way I broke it down was I was making forty one six at the state, 44 or something by the time I left. So I was like, oh man, you know, if if all these attorneys are telling me they're doing felonies for $4,000, $5,000 a pop, like I need 10 cases to make the same amount of money. Mm-hmm. And so I think I, I think at the time I thought I can't be bad enough to not be able to do that. I didn't realize what other expenses would come out. I didn't understand, you know, I didn't understand how to make sure those things happen the right way on every case as I started adding employees. Like I didn't know what the next step was, but I wasn't really worried about the money for me at the time for better or worse. Yeah, absolutely. So you you launched out on your own, you started your practice. Did you start with an employee? Did you start with somebody or, or did someone come along? And what was that like for you when you had to come to the point of hiring your first employee? Tell us about that. Sure. Um, so technically, my wife and I started the firm together. She's also a lawyer, but she was teaching at the time. So part of the other thing was like she had health and the same health insurance through teaching. So even some of the benefits of being a government employee weren't the case for us. Um, but she had a full time like I launched in October, October 5th of 2015. Um, so she was teaching full time at that time. So it wasn't a huge help along those lines. And I mean, we had zero dollars to launch. You know, I had I had somebody who was renting me space at a discounted rate and told me he would send me cases, which he totally did, which was helpful for a lot of the overhead stuff. But like we did not put anything of substance into launching it. And so eventually, um, I would say I started in October. So let's say in probably January or February, I hired a law student for 10 bucks an hour to do like the stuff I really didn't want to do. Like, hey, man, you need to learn e-filing because we never did this at the state. And uh, I don't know how to do it now. So, you know, here it is. And then actually, it's funny enough, we actually ended up rehiring that law student as a lawyer once he passed and went through. So clearly he did a good enough job and I did a good enough job, uh, you know, for him to want to come work here as a lawyer after doing the grunt work for so often. Yeah, absolutely. Well, congratulations, because you made it through that difficult time period. You learned the things you needed to learn and you've built a great law practice and you're loving what you do. What would you say, you know, for those who are listening has been or have been some of the secrets to your success? Sure. Um, man, the secrets to my success. I, I, I guess let me give you the sh- the quick answer and then I'll give you the in-depth answer. I don't have any secrets. Like I actively <laughs> try and share all of it that I can online for people. 
because I had a lot of really good mentors and still do, and a lot of other lawyers willing to sit down and talk to me for an hour. There's so many of these problems. Not everybody has that. So like, I kind of feel responsible to not keep anything as a secret. Um, so I'll say in terms of like specific actionable things, know your ideal client. Like that is number one for me. Know who you actually want to work with. What kind of case is that? What does that person sound like? What is that person actually concerned about? Like the more that you know that, the easier it is for you to say no to bad opportunities, the easier it is for you to identify who a good referral source is. You know, so like, you know, I'll use, I'll use, use the example from the financial side. You know, if you're an estate planning attorney who wants to work with people who have a net worth of $5 million or more, they're probably going to their financial advisor. They're probably going to their business lawyer. They're probably going to their divorce attorney to ask for a referral. But if you're trying to look for, you know, that first time uh, family who just had a kid who needs a cheap, easy will now that it matters, they're probably the ones who don't have those connections. So they might be going to Google. They might be going to Facebook. They might not even know they need an estate plan. Mm. You know, so really like that same type of work becomes very different marketing strategies, becomes very different pricing points, becomes very different, um, you know, what you say, where you say it, how you say it, because it's two totally different kinds of people, even if it's quote unquote estate planning in that example. Yeah, that's great. And we talked about that on the show for sure. It's so critical in, in whatever business you're in. I can speak for the financial business as well. It affects your marketing. It affects your processes, your procedures, everything you do. Um, on this show, we talk a lot about money and finance. And you mentioned being in debt. I'm curious, you know, on the financial side of running a law firm, what are some of the financial strategies, practices, or uh, metrics that you have found have been really helpful that you put into place to make sure that you are increasing your profitability and achieving the success you want? Awesome. Great question, man. So most lawyers are going to get paid some sort of like flat fee, hourly retainer, whatever it is. And so from there, like the biggest thing you can do is you can look at how you're pricing your offerings, what your hourly rate is, whatever. And so there you can talk about like, hey, if there's if I'm working 60 hours a week, I might be able to bill 30 and at X out dollars, I could bring in this for flat fee. You know, if the average case takes me four hours, I can do in theory 10 a week. Although obviously, you know, if you can resolve 10 cases every week in four hours, God bless you. Let me know what kind of law you do. Our case <laughs> lasts forever. For us now though, we're PI and so it's contingency fee. So mm. I look at the cases that we sign up but then I also look at our average case resolution number, but then I also look at our average case resolution time. And so for us, it's like 246 days, I think. Don't quote me on that, but if I'm, I'm not that far off. Okay. So 10 cases come in you know, this month. I look at projecting the average case resolution, which is about $25,000 overall. So about 8,300 per case to us in 246 days. And so by doing those things, and then I split it up once we file suit, now we know the different resolution number, the different resolution time, we can change some of the projections. But like really, you, you've got to look at that time element um, for contingency fee because the case now is not the money now, whereas for flat fee, you might get half down. For hourly, you might know that you're going to bill five hours on average in the next two weeks, whatever that is. And that becomes like the most important thing I see firms missing is the time it takes to get money just as much as mm. the average money they will get per case. Yeah. And you got to make it, you got to pay your bills until you get to that point where you receive the money. Um, in your experience, 
is it do, do law firm owners sometimes fall in the trap of being overly optimistic in their financial projections? What can you tell us about that? I don't feel like any lawyer has ever been overly optimistic about anything. We, you know, like what does law school teach you? It's like every time you get in the car, put on that seatbelt, you're going to die. You're going to get launched out the windshield. Like that's everything we read about for three years in law school is like, oh my God, that open manhole, you know, happened to catch some whatever. Uh, but that being said, I think you're totally right from a psychological standpoint. I mean, we as humans have the planning fallacy, right? Like we come up with a plan and we think there's no way I could avoid this. So probably I'd like to think we do a better job of that. I have no backing for it, except every other lawyer I talk to being, you know, the chicken little, the sky is falling all the time, myself included on a lot of things. Um, but yeah, probably there's still probably incredibly rosy projections. Well, I mean, even if you're just, you know, not even if you're making projections that are perfectly rational and reasonable, sometimes they don't pan out as you expect them to. Have you have you ever experienced that? And what strategies have you used to deal with that? Yeah, I think that's a great question. So like the thing that I see a ton is you get these law firm owners that are like, I want to be a seven figure firm. And you're like, great. How many cases is that going to take? I have no idea. OK, what sort of staff do you need to do that? I have no idea. Okay, do you want to be doing the work that is required for you to oversee a firm large enough to be a seven-figure firm? I don't know what that takes. So there comes this time where you sort of have to figure out like what your what you really want your role to be and then figure out what you can do in that time in that role as well as like what needs to support you and then you have to figure out how to use money to fill in those gaps. So, you know, I as as a uh, I used to own a marketing company for lawyers, which which is going to be funny for what I say now. We told so many of our potential law firm clients not to hire us for marketing until you have fulfillment down pat, like until you can be a great lawyer on 20, 30 percent more cases than you currently have. Don't pay money to market for cases mm. because then you're constantly triaging them because now you're getting, you know, two, three, four star reviews instead of five-star reviews. And so when it comes time to make those financial decisions, a lot of times I think you need to do a great job first and then try and backfill with the cases as opposed to thinking like, oh, I'm going to do this great marketing campaign and have people banging down the door and then not be able to handle those cases the right way. Yeah, that's good advice. And and you bring up a really good point, which is not everybody needs or wants to be that seven-figure firm. You know, it's really about what's the ideal life for you, you know, what kind of business, what kind of life do you want to create? Because you can be perfectly reasonably happy being a six-figure firm, <laughs> you know what I mean? And keeping your overhead low. So it's really about figuring out, and I do this with clients is, you know, going through this process of figuring out their goals and vision and really getting clear about what do you really want your life to be. Um, and, and you do some work with this. Uh, besides just being an awesome lawyer, you also help other lawyers with their work-life balance and improving their law practices. What things do you do to balance the demands of running a law firm with your personal life? And what strategies do you use to maintain that healthy work-life balance? Yeah. Um, dude, another great question. So I go back to like authenticity and genuineness. You have to figure out who you truly are. Like, What are your core values? What really matters to you? The more that you have that, the easier it is to do these things. So like for me, I want to never lose sight of the fact that people hire us in often their worst time of need. You know, they just got into a car accident, they slipped and, and fell, they had 
you know, they're bedridden on some issue with a, you know, 16 week physical therapy treatment. And so from that, we need to show up a certain way. And based upon that, I know where I'm going to fall. Like I can only help so many people. So my job really becomes empowering my employees so that they can help more people. You know, how do I give them the right systems, the right processes, the right training, the right support, the right payment structure, you know, whatever it is for them to do an amazing job for all of our clients in that moment um, while also being helpful. So like I like that part of it and I like hanging out with people. So I network my butt off to generate leads for us from a networking standpoint, doing podcasts like this from a personal branding standpoint doing content creation from a social media standpoint and don't do any of the legal work. You know, I can get enough of that to cover, you know, six or seven people over there to cover, you know, what was eight or 10 before I got bought out of the marketing company um, and whatnot, because I've gone back to what I genuinely enjoy, which is the business strategy and the marketing aspect of it. Too many times we get these lawyers who are like, oh, I'm the world's best litigator. I'm a great brief writer but I'm obligated to go to lunch, but I'm obligated to join this, you know, bar event, but I'm obligated to do this. And then they're like, but it doesn't work for me. I'm like, right. Because you made a hundred decisions to, you know, subconsciously torture yourself into doing this thing mm. that you don't show up the right way. You know, for me, I'm, I'm rocking the Hawaiian shirt so that I know like it's that extra little smile. I show up nicer. I'm here on a podcast with you. I love talking. Um, or I love, you know, talking yeah. to people and, and having these conversations. It's really easy knowing that, you know, I've got a attorney upstairs who's on a meet and confer. I've got a paralegal who's drafting a demand letter. I've got a legal assistant who's answering the phone when a new client calls. I've got a, you know, social media person who's going through our analytics, whatever else it is that goes on at the same time. Yeah. You've got to figure out where in the business of law you fit in best. And not every attorney wants to be an owner. Not every law firm owner really wants to be an owner. <laughs> you know? um, I have some new clients. It's a, a, a partnership and the one owner loves being an owner, wants to do more of the marketing and the messaging and the visioning. The other one loves being in the court and loves working with clients and wants to just do legal work. And so that's that's beautiful, figuring out what is what it is that you love and really aligning yourself with that. And you've been able to kind of move yourself more into the ownership role how have you done that? And and what advice would you give to other attorneys who are trying to make that transition into more of a leadership role and have a really powerful team working for them? So I love the way that you, because I was going to jump in on the two partnerships, but this question gives me the same answer. So my wife and I own the firm 50-50. She's the lawyer. I'm the uh -huh. business owner. And so like, I always tell people, listen, you want to double down on your strengths. For me, how can I network twice as much as I'm doing? You know, how can I go out for breakfast meetings and lunch meetings and happy hours? Instead, I think too many people focus on minimizing their faults. Like, how do I read 7,000 pages of case law to become a good lawyer? So when it comes time from a partnership standpoint, the two people you talked about or my wife and I, we balance each other's faults maybe false is the wrong word, especially about my wife. We balance each other's <laughs> things we aren't as interested in. There you go. Standpoint. And it's the same thing from hiring. You know, there comes a time where you don't have enough money, you have time. So what do I need to learn to solve this problem? But then it becomes a situation where you have money and it's don't waste time solving a problem that you can pay somebody else to do better, to do faster, to figure out. You know, like I don't, uh, I don't change. I last week I didn't. I had a broken um, garbage disposal, 
I hired a handyman for a hundred bucks. He fixed it in 40 minutes. And in theory, I could have built at that time or, you know, I was texting referral sources or whatever and generated a $5,000 case instead of me going on YouTube and looking up how to do this and tracking one down and going over here and spending the hour and a half and breaking it anyway. And then having to call him when it's, when water's spilling out of everywhere, <laughs> you know, like as, as business owners, a lot of times we get stuck in that mindset because we didn't have money at the beginning, but once you do, utilize that for your own time, for yes. your own focus. Yeah, you have to leverage your expertise where it's best suited and in your time where it's going to be most valuable. That's definitely true. And, and speaking of leveraging and making things more efficient, uh, you've talked about being a digital first law firm. I'm interested and intrigued about what that means and what inspired that and how that has really improved your client experience. So I was at the prosecutor's office for a little over three years. And then when we started, we were basically, a, we were the vast majority of criminal defense firms. So in those six years, we had more colleagues die by suicide, stroke, heart attack at way too young than who retired. And so there came this moment where like, hey, look, I'm not vain enough to say that I was on that path just to say that like, I saw so many lawyers making these same decisions over and over again to burn the candle at both ends, to work 90 hours a week, to do you know whatever it was along those lines, that we had to figure out how can we still treat the client the right way, but save some of that time. And like a lot of it goes back to automation, you know, putting together like a program like Lawmatics that will automatically send these contracts. I fill out one form, the client gets a contract that is completely customized to their specific need because we built it that way. Then there's, you know, 30 emails that will drip to them over the next 30 days. Then it will task people to call and doing those things save so much time versus manually editing every contract and then sending it and then asking them to print it out and, you know, whatnot. Um, and so we started doing a lot of this stuff in 2018, 2019, as I made the switch. And then, holy cow, on March 11th, 2020, COVID shuts so many things down. And literally, we had a meeting, whatever it was, like that Friday. And we're like, hey, everybody, take your computers home if you need them. Take We have the, the soft phones that plug in. Take those home. Do we need any extra printers? No, we've got enough to have one for everybody. Great. Do we need anything else? No. And we'll see you back in the office when we come back in the office. Like we had zero change from any of that other than not physically seeing each other, but we had the Google suite. So we had Google Meet. We already had Zoom. You know, we had all these things lined up already that it became, I don't want to say easy, but certainly easier than, you know, like I've got some good friends at a firm that's catty cornered to us that's been around for 70 years and they added a case management system in May of 2020. So they did that while nobody was around each other. And I'm sure they paid 20 times as much because whatever whoever helped them do it was super busy with everything going digital. And now, like, if a client wants to come to the office, great. We've got 2,200 square feet. That's just ours. Once every three months, somebody wants to come to the office. But we have everything designed. We've got the location. We have it designed. They don't have to. We have everything in place to handle it the way they want. And so... You know, my clients who finally found a job after 13 months don't need to take off work to come to their lawyer's office to look at a document, to sign a form, to approve something. We yeah. can have it all sitting in their email at their convenience. Yeah, that's very convenient. It's, you know, and people are working. People are busy. You know, it's, it's difficult to find time like during normal work hours to do anything, you know, go to the doctor, you know, or anything like that, see a lawyer, you know what I mean? <laughs> so if I can sit in my office or sit somewhere and talk to somebody and not have to travel, that's really fantastic. 
Uh, are there specific uh, systems that you use or processes? Uh, you mentioned one of them. Are there others that you have found really, really helpful to you in your practice? Like from a software standpoint? Sure, yeah. Oh, um, listen, the best software is the one that you and everybody else at your firm will actually use 100% of the time. <laughs> if that is a Google sheet that everybody edits, fine. Like that's better than than anything else. Uh, personally, in my firm, we use Lawmatics for basically, I call it intake and outtake. So like once the case is closed, then we use Practice Panther for some of the case management in the middle. Um, Practice Panther is similar to Clio or Smokeball or whatnot along those lines. I just go back to like, please find the one that everybody will use. You know, there'll be some slight differences in the user interface or in the features or whatnot, but like the one that everybody actually will plug data into makes it easy because otherwise... You have files in one person's head. You have files only uploaded by one paralegal over here. You're missing what the uh, legal assistant did on it. And it becomes so much more of a headache because now you've got to look in four different places instead of really having that one cloud-based system that you can log into anywhere. You know, I talked about we did a 13-month cross-country road trip. So I have literally handled cases and logged into our system in like 38, 39 different states. And all the information was there because everybody in the team uploaded everything where it needed to be in the exact spot that it was for everybody. And, you know, it exists in the, like in a, a Zoolander, you know, the files are in the computer, the files are in the computer. It exists in the cloud, no matter what. Um, so that would be my, my biggest thing is have that to make it easier to find things and connect across whatever distance. If it's five miles, if it's 50 miles, if it's 5,000 miles, if it's cloud-based, you've got the access. Yeah. You, you've got to uh, use it if you're going to pay for it, you know, and, and use it to its most advantage. Use it, use all the features that, that come with it, for sure. A lot of uh, attorneys I've talked to uh, have time and billing software, but aren't using that. You know, they have associates that aren't using it, and, and it's it's a waste of money if it's not being used. <laughs> yeah, and then you end up having, you know, 14 different programs, and then you stitch them together through Zapier, and then you're paying way more money for all the subscriptions. And then one of them updates and it blows all the zaps. And I got to spend time with that. I mean, there's just the, uh, you know, 80% done is by somebody else's. You should delegate it. If the system will do 80% of what you want, just have one system or two systems instead of 35. It'll make yeah. it easier to train. It'll make it easier. You know, you won't have that one program that goes out of business. And now you've completely destroyed your whole system because that's the hub of everything. I mean, there's just a lot of options. For sure. Yeah, this is great. So, Jordan, unfortunately, we, we've talked, we're coming to the end of our time here. And I just want to ask, you know, for other attorneys that are looking for help that really want to grow, what advice do you have additionally for them? Or is there anything else you'd like to add uh, for our listeners? Yeah, I mean, look, I'll do like sort of shameless plug. Follow me on Facebook or LinkedIn. I post every day about specific things that, you know, I'm seeing in the industry about uh, when Clio releases their yearly statistics when Martindale Nolo does like I you know put some of those things together in a way that's actionable for people and just I genuinely want to help more lawyers because people come to us in their biggest time of need and if you can show up well for them if you're not you know you can't uh, pour from an empty cup if you're not burning yourself down you're going to do a better job for them which then gives every lawyer a better name because you don't have that oh I had the one deadbeat who didn't do anything on my case come to find out the attorney was working 100 hours a week which is why it was too slow and you know, whatnot from there. So happy to genuinely help. Great, great stuff. Well, I've got one last question for you. 
what does, you know, you've built this great practice. What's the future look like for you guys? And then, of course, you know, long, long term, since we talk a lot about retirement, what does your dream retirement look like? I'm curious. Yeah. Um, so what does the firm look like long term? I don't know. You know, if we ended up gr- if we ended up growing more, I would want to just recreate the same stuff that we have. So instead of having one pod of attorney, paralegal, legal assistant, go to two pods, go to three pods, whatever, but still keep that same high touch, low volume type stuff. Um, in terms of retirement, I was listening to this awesome thing that says you want to look at not what you retire from, but what you retire to. And I am really lucky in that I work three days a week. I get lunch with friends. I play golf or top golf or disc golf or something. I go to the movies with friends like all the time. So I don't know. My concept of retirement realistically is 90% the same thing there. Like maybe I would take a week off instead of taking four days off at one point. I don't know. I just, I, I get bored. I feel like my brain melts <laughs> away if I'm, you know, laying on the couch doing a Netflix binge or something like that. So. Right. Well, it sounds like you're living the dream and that's great advice. Look at what you want to retire to, not what you want to retire from. That's really, really good advice and stuff I talk with clients about all the time. You can't just stop working and sit around. You've got to have something that you're going towards. And maybe that is to continue working just in a different capacity. You know, it is what it is for you and what aligns with your passions and your dreams and your desires. Yeah. Can I jump on that for a second? Absolutely. And the beauty of having a business is how often you can not monetize what you enjoy, but create relationships across what you enjoy. You know, if you genuinely like retirement and playing golf, right? That becomes a hugely popular thing. But guess what? For the estate planning attorney, for the financial advisor, for the accountant, for the, you know, business lawyer, just go freaking play golf and buy the rest of your foursome the tea time and go with referral sources and have fun and set that up, you know, every month with or every week with 16 different referral sources and golf now for a living, not because you're that good at golfing, but because that's how you're building relationships with the people that you can share clients with, with the people who can, you know, give you some advice if something goes wrong with the firm, with the, you know, getting retirement advice from as as you get closer to whatever that day is. Like, it's amazing to me how much we put off what we enjoy instead of using it to build better relationships and connections with people who can, you know, help us get there and also that we genuinely enjoy spending time with. For sure, for sure. That's great stuff. Now, one last time, Jordan, can you share with our audience where they can find you online to learn more about you? Sure. Uh, If you go to jordanostroff.com, O-S-T-R-O-F-F, you can sign up for my weekly newsletter. Or if you look me up on social media, it's either Jordan Ostroff or it's Lawyer with a Life. And there's only two Jordan Ostroffs in the world. So you'll find the Hawaiian shirt wearing one pretty easily versus the uh, upstanding salesman Jordan Ostroff in Boston. So (laughs) Sounds good. Well, thanks so much for joining us. And thank you, the listener, for joining us today on The Lawyer Millionaire. If you want to learn more, check out our website, thelawyermillionaire.com. There you can find free resources and webinars and grab a copy of my book, or even schedule a time to chat with me about your own financial goals and creating a plan to make them happen. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode packed with useful advice and expertise for law firm owners just like you. We also invite you to leave a review and share The Lawyer Millionaire with your friends and colleagues who might benefit from our discussions. Together, let's empower more law firm owners to achieve even greater levels of success 
and freedom. Now take what you learned today and go make your dreams a reality. I'm your host, Darren Wirtz, and I'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to The Lawyer Millionaire. Click the follow button below to be notified when new episodes become available. This content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. This content is not intended to represent investing or tax advice. Always seek the advice of a qualified investment or tax advisor with any questions you may have regarding your own financial circumstances. 